0: Good evening. Good evening. Let us bow together in prayer. Thank you, Father, for allowing each of us to be here once again to be able to worship you. I ask that you be with all of us as I present this lesson from your word and help, help all of us to take what we study this evening and apply it to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. I'm happy to be in front of you once again and thankful to the elders for giving me this opportunity to speak. Every time I get to speak and to preach from God's word, it's always a privilege. You know, I'm, I'm more nervous when I get up and I'm speaking on anything else besides God's word because God's word does all the speaking for me. I'm just the mouthpiece. The title of this of tonight's lesson, as you may have noticed in your bulletins, is "The Abominable King." It's a difficult word to wrap my tongue around, but "abominable King." You know that word abomination or abominable" is nowadays we only hear it in religious um, in a religious uh context, but it is a word. It is in the dictionary, and when used correctly, you know we can use it in our day-to-day lives. But in this lesson, we are going to explore the life of King Manasseh. Now, you may not have heard much about King Manasseh, if, and depending on, on which account you read about him, um, you may have different um, views on him. For one thing, we do know that he was an evil king. You know, in Israel's history, in Judah's history, there were good kings and there were bad kings. But Manasseh's story is unique compared to many of the kings who came before him and after him. He was the son of King Hezekiah, who was a good king. He was the grandfather of King Josiah, who was also a good king. There are three questions that that I want to answer in this lesson. The first one is, what does the word abomination mean? Second question: Who was King Manasseh? And the third question: What abominable acts did he carry out? And the English, the word abomination was trans, the English word abomination was translated from the Hebrew word to eba, something which means something disgusting. An abhorrence, and it was usually related to idolatry or an idol. This Hebrew word is translated into abomination one hundred and thirteen times. The first time we see abomination used in the Bible is in Genesis forty-three, verse thirty-two. Genesis forty-three, verse thirty-two. In verse thirty-two reads, "So they set him a place; that is, Joseph, by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So to them it was, as we, it was disgusting, it was um, disgraceful, it was something that just was not done, and this." If this is from a man's point of view. So if man finds things disgusting and abhorrent abhorrent um, let's, let's put it this way. You know, this morning in the first and second grade class, we were learning about leprosy. And to describe leprosy, one example that was used is, if you see something dirty and nasty, are you going to want to touch it? The answer is no. And that's how People with leprosy were treated. They were set apart because of what they had on them, and so it's the same way that man finds different things abominable um, for whatever reason that may, whatever reason they may have. Well, what about God? What if God finds things abominable? Should we not be on the same page as God when it comes to that word, to that that context? Well, God does find things abominable, and he's very specific about what he finds abominable. When he was presenting the law of Moses, the law that he wanted the children of Israel to follow in Deuteronomy 18, Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14, now this is important. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14, this is something that we definitely want to keep in mind in this lesson. Verse 9 reads, When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of those nations. So God obviously finds something abominable about what the other nations around Israel were doing. He says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, for these nations which you will dispossess listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Now, let's get back to Manasseh. Just, I'll just cut to the chase. Manasseh did all of these things in this list. Every single one of them. If you turn, if you'll turn with me to 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings, chapter 21. 2 Kings 21, verse 9. Starting in verse nine. So just to give an overall context, um, second this passage or this account is recorded here in Second Kings and also in Second Chronicles thirty-three. We will, we will look at both, and in some ways, Second Kings is more is longer. It has more details. But second Chronicles gives us another piece of the story that Second Kings leaves out when you read through uh, this passage. But in verse 15, um, excuse me, verse 9, But they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them, that is, the people, to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. King Manasseh became king when he was 12 years old. And it's not clear how old he was when he, when he turned to evil and started doing all of these things. But he was the king, he was a leader, and his people followed after him, followed his example. And this verse is pretty depressing. It says they paid no attention. That is, they didn't, the people didn't pay attention to the prophets who God sent to talk to the people and to Manasseh. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. He angered God and led his people to ruin. Verses 12-14 to reads, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem in the measuring rod measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down so I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies you know when we reread things like this where God has lost his patience with his people sometimes the thought that comes to my mind is, oh, wow Couldn't he have waited longer? Couldn't he have been more patient with them, giving them more time? Well, if you if you do a study and and learn just how long it had been in between the Exodus from Egypt to now, it was roughly eight hundred years. From Egypt to now, would you say that's a long a long time for God to be patient? Would you have gotten impatient? Before a hundred years had uh, passed, so God was very patient with them. He was long suffering. And this wasn't, when he did punish Judah, he did not wipe them off the face of the earth. He punished them. He, he left a remnant and they were able to come back into the promised land, but he was still very upset. Second Kings 21, verse 15, again, because they have done evil in my sight. Oh, actually, I hadn't read that yet. So verse 15 reads, because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. So he he was keeping, he was paying attention and keeping record. So is this the end? Because after this, you know, when you go all the way down to verse 18, Manasseh dies, and you don't really know what else happens except for in verse 17 where it says, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sins that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So let's turn to the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, Second Chronicles 33. 2 Chronicles 33, verses 10 and 11. God is... Has every right to do, to be who he is and to do whatever he wants. He can be as angry as he wants to be, but he also is a merciful God and patient, and is everything that he does has a purpose. So, Second Chronicles thirty three verses ten and eleven. If you were God, would you spare Manasseh for what he did? I, I can tell you, because we're men, we're humans that more than likely he would have been gone a long time ago at the first, word, at the first evil act. But we're not God, thankfully. Second Chronicles thirty three verse 10 reads, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God, God of his fathers and prayed to him and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. This, when it says he was dragged, when he was, uh, let's see, what verse is that? When it mentions the hooks that he was bound with, this is a is a quote or a direct reference to 2 Kings 19, verse 28, when God is he's detailing how he will punish King Sennacherib, if I'm saying his name correctly. So Manasseh is essentially an enemy of God. He's treated just like an enemy of God. And it's in, in, in his darkest hour that he finally turns to God. He seeks out God. He repents, and God has mercy on Manasseh and restores him to his throne throne. And because of that, Manasseh turns a new leaf. Verses fifteen through seventeen of Second Chronicles thirty three read fifteen verses seventeen. He took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the idol from the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord, God of Israel. So it, I would encourage you to go and read um, in your own study all of the things he did before, because he's basically reversing what he did before he repented. He did some terrible things, including sacrificing his own sons. Putting them through the fire, in the valley of the son of Hinnom, or Gehenna, as it's translated, he did terrible things, and yet, because despite his abominable acts, God had mercy on him, and was willing to let him was willing to give him a chance. The Lord is near. Psalm one forty five, verses eighteen and nineteen. That is, Psalm 145, 18 and 19 reads, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. Another passage, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Manasseh literally called upon the name of the Lord and was saved. At some point in his life we you have to we would hope that he was taught about God. His father was righteous. And we would hope that he taught his son about the God that he served. The God who, when you study the life of Hezekiah, gave Hezekiah some more years to live. And even let him know what was going to happen to his nation later on down the road. So Manasseh had to know something about God, otherwise he would not have turned to him. He had faith and repented of his sins. Another Individual that we can read about in the Bible who is similar to Manasseh is the Apostle Paul. I'm sure you you can see the, the um, parallels. The Apostle Paul was heading in the wrong direction as well, and literally, almost like that light bulb moment. But it was really even brighter than that. Jesus Jesus met him on the road to Damascus where he was blinded, and because of that. Paul, when he turns away from his sins, he repented. He was shown mercy and was told to go and wait for Ananias. In Acts 22, verse 16. And Ananias finds him praying to God. He says, and now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. See, God still wants us to call upon his name so that we may be saved, but he wants us to do it by firstly by its obedience. He expects us to have faith, to believe that he sent his son to die on this cross, but firstly to believe that you do have sins that separate you from God, and believe that not only must you have faith, but you must act on that faith by confessing, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and being baptized, immersed in water. I mentioned again, or mentioned earlier, how sometimes we, when we're looking at individuals like Manasseh, we're quick to judge them, to say, if there's no way I would have shown them that much mercy. There are people that live today that are evil, that we consider evil, and we would say, there is no way I would let that person live, or be released after, you know, X, Y, Z. One quote that I wanted to just leave with you that I always think of is, many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Do not be eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. We are not in the place of God to judge people. I'm so thankful for that. Now, we, in our... Our nation, there are laws and there there are individuals who have the power to judge others, but we can't put people in hell or heaven. Only God can do that. I'm so thankful that we have this account of, of manasseh this account about Manasseh, because it teaches us a lot about who God is and His nature. I hope this lesson has been encouraging for you. I encourage you to study even more these two passages because they are. They're great faith builders, I would say. If you have any needs, please come forward as together we stand and sing.